Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Thanks for joining us all again this week. We've got a couple of shout outs before we get started. So um, just wanted to say hi to Kaylee Harrett, um, also to Hilary Rhodes. Um, we want to say hi to Leanne Bays and Cara Shaw. So hi everybody, thanks for hello reaching all. out. We also have a new Patreon supporter, so hello and welcome to Sam Tomashko. Woo, thank you Sam. Hopefully I've pronounced that correctly. I know, I didn't really want to be the one to have to say it, just in Beth case I said it wrong. It, but we're both very grateful. And if we have said it wrong, let us know. Tell us how to pronounce your name properly and then we'll do it properly. So if like Sam, you want to come and join the party, then you can head over to patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast where you can support us from as little as £2 a month. For this week's episode, we will be discussing a case that one of our newest supporters, Gary Dugdale, suggested. So thank you, Gary, and I hope that we do it justice for you today. Yeah, thank you, Gary, for the suggestion. Um, It was a case that I had known about at the time a little bit, but didn't know much about. And then when I started researching, um, realised that it was a case that I should have been a lot more interested in at the time. It just all seemed to just kind of happen very quickly. Um, It's also quite an unusual case because we don't know and we probably will never know the names of some of the people involved. The names were kept out of the papers for various reasons. So to make things easy, I've just renamed the people in the case that I needed to. It helped me to kind of keep the story straight in my head and I hope that it will do so for you as well. So the names have been changed If for some weird coincidence I have managed to get the names actually correct, that was not on purpose. I did not know the names of the people and I I do not know the names of the people. It was the afternoon of the 13th of April 2016 when college student Emma had been in Newcastle discussing an assignment with her supervisor. She'd taken her daughter Alex with her. Alex was two years and nine months old and quite understandably she was getting a bit grisly and hungry. She was probably a bit bored as well. So the pair went to a cafe on Northumberland Street to grab a bite to eat. It was, as Emma later described, just an ordinary day. At about 4pm, the pair walked over to the local Primark shop, Alex in her pushchair, to have a little rummage through the clothes. Um, I'm really sorry if I say Primark and Primark sometimes. What do you say, Mark? When you, Primark. Do you say Primark? I think it just changes all the time. I apologise if I say it like a million different ways. As Emma browsed the kids' wear section, Alex didn't want to be in a pushchair any longer and began making a bit of a fuss about the straps and just trying to get out, just general, being an annoying child sort of stuff. So Emma let her loose, allowing her to let off some steam. Emma has been quoted as saying, but obviously with a different name, Alex was running to and fro and playing. I could hear her laughing hysterically and calling out to me. The shop was quite busy, but Alex didn't seem to be annoying anyone, so Emma let her carry on. There was a pair of teenage girls nearby, Emma thought they looked about 13 years old, and they were shopping nearby, smiling at Emma and telling her how cute Alex was. The pair, wearing their school uniforms, had then offered Alex a sweet, and whilst Emma had at first said no, she soon changed her mind. I'm guessing because her daughter probably had a little bit of a moan about it, and she just gave in and allowed them to give Alex a sweet. Emma continued with her shopping. But suddenly, Emma realised that she couldn't hear Alex anymore. There were no more hysterical laughs or sounds of childish play. She said, Suddenly, I couldn't hear her. I couldn't hear her voice. I couldn't hear her laugh. I couldn't hear her calling out to me. I just started panicking. And then she remembered those two girls who were paying serious attention to her. Emma wondered if perhaps Alex had followed the teenagers somewhere else in the store 
So she rushed to get staff members, saying her daughter was lost in the shop somewhere and she needed help finding her. The staff reassured her that it was not unusual for children to go missing and that they always turned up, but after five or ten minutes, Emma just knew Alex wasn't in the store anymore. If she was, she would have been crying loudly, I want my mum. And if the girls were with her, they would have brought her back by then. Emma would have been able to hear her daughter, but she couldn't, and this was when, in her own words, her world stopped and she couldn't think straight. She said, I could not stop feeling bad, I could not stop feeling guilty, I was beating myself up. How? How could it have happened? How could my child disappear right under my nose? How? And I have no idea of how she left. Who did she leave with? It is the worst feeling anyone can go through. It's every parent's worst nightmare. And it really is, isn't it? I mean, Mm. for any parents listening to this, if you've ever had those few seconds where you've lost your child, it must just be... It literally is your worst nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. With all the stuff we read about today. Mm -hmm. And it's scary enough. Like, I remember being a kid and um, my family had all, like, turned left into somewhere and I'd carried on walking because when you're a kid you don't pay attention. And then I was like, oh, shit, like, I feel really scared. And obviously in my mind, like, I must have been, like, five or six or something so I was very little, but it was terrifying. And actually my dad probably just noticed and followed me and then was like, it's fine. But even for a kid, that's scary as well to Mm. go missing. So, yeah, horrible situation. And unbeknownst to Emma or the staff, by this point, little Alex was already out of the shop, led away by sisters Amy and Jackie, aged 13 and 14, the teenagers who had offered the two-year-old a sweet not even 20 minutes earlier. And perhaps more chillingly, this was not the first time that day that the pair had attempted to abduct a young child. About three hours earlier, either in a dress rehearsal or in a failed abduction attempt, the teenagers had played with another little girl and complimented the mother on her daughter, saying that she was beautiful. Shortly after, the mother had glanced up from the clothes she was looking at and realised her daughter was missing. CCTV footage watched later showed the 13-year-old had taken this two-year-old by the hand and led her away while the 14-year-old told the mother that her daughter had gone in a different direction, deliberately lying to the worried mum. Luckily, this mother did continue her search herself and found the missing child. By this time, she was with both the girls near the lifts leading down to the ground floor. The mother assumed that the girls had found her child wandering and actually thanked them before leaving the store. Can you imagine being that mum? But to be honest, like the girls had probably said that to the mum. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we've, you know, we found her. Yeah. Um, and the mum's probably so panicked, she's not really paying attention to no. anything else that it could have been. Because she's probably just so relieved that she's got a daughter back. Exactly. And why would you not trust the person who says, look, we just found your daughter? You'd, of course, just thank them and go. So she had a very lucky escape then. Really lucky. And we quite often see that, don't we? These almost like dress rehearsals. Yeah, this that is These it. criminals will go out and have a complete dry run of what their intention mm-hmm. is. And that's it. No, the girls in this case never actually admitted either way. So either this was a, a failed attempt and then they learned how to do it better. But I, I think it was a bit of a dress rehearsal. I think they wanted to see how easy it might be, see what worked, what didn't work. A point that has been made about this case, but I'm not sure if it was just chance or coincidence or whether the girls had actually targeted the toddlers specifically, but the sisters were white and both children that they attempted to abduct were black. There's actually no further information around this, whether this is a pattern that they were meaning to follow or not, because like I said before, 
They've not answered, they've barely answered any questions around the case. But they they absolutely could have deliberately set out to abduct a black girl. There could have been a reason. Um, Apart from that just being a point that has been raised because it's, it's part of the case, I don't see anything else in any of the rest of my research around whether it was um poignant or not but i thought it was something important that perhaps shouldn't be left out because if it turns out in the future that something comes up around it maybe something that's pertinent to it we are going to discuss the sisters in a bit more detail but first we return to emma who was in a blind panic by this point staff knew for sure that the police needed to get involved the call was initially quite a routine one for the call handler she answered the 101 non-emergency call at roughly 4.55 and was told by Premark manager Thomas Clay, Hello, I'm one of the managers at Premark in Northumberland Street in the middle of Newcastle. We've got a lost child in store, three years old, but it's over 20 minutes now and we've had the staff scouring the place and we just can't find her. And I sort of understand why he's dialed 101. Mm-hmm. So um, for anyone not listening to this in the UK, that's a non-emergency emergency number. Yeah, um, so like if something's going on, but you know you don't need the police to be round in a minute. Yeah, yeah. you would phone them. But and also for advice, maybe on mm-hmm. in certain situations. And he's a store manager of a massive department store, essentially, I suppose, in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Mark? So, you know, he's probably had this happen many times before. Mm-hmm. This store is probably 100,000 square foot. And that child, most likely, as has probably happened every other time for him, is in that store somewhere. Yeah. So do they need sirens? Do they need, you know, 20 police to turn up? No. But they might just need a couple of local officers to come and really help find that girl within that store. Because they will be thinking at this point, the girl is in the store still. Yeah. But it's a massive store. She could be on the fifth floor. Or even... um just having the police presence then in the town centre. So if this kid has gone wandering out of the shop, because um, I don't I don't know about nowadays, but we were always told if you get lost, you find a policeman. Yeah. That was always a thing. And and that, you know, if you're ever unsure of something, you can always go to a policeman and ask. Like as a little kid, I don't really know if at two, nearly three years old, you know stuff like I don't really know how old kids are when they do things. But that's completely it. Like 101 would be able to give advice. They'd be able to assess the situation and then make a judgment call on whether it's worth calling the emergency services for real or not. Because they can do that. They yeah, can they say, then well, do it on your behalf. We're going to escalate this. Yeah. I remember calling them because there was like a dog loose and I was a bit like, I don't know what I'd do about a dog that was mm. loose. It was like annoying children and like barking at them and I thought it was going to bite one of them and I was like, what do I do? What did they say? Um, They actually did say that they would get like the dog warden people oh, but okay. also like some sort of community support person as well was going to come round. So I just went back indoors because <laughs> I didn't want to get into trouble as well. Like whoever's dog it was might have been like, you just called the police on my dog. So if you live near Bethan, basically, she'll just phone 101 for any old shit that goes down. <laughs> I don't think that's any old shit. This dog like was someone like... not putting their bins out on the right day, 101. Well, someone did steal our recycling bin once, 101. But I didn't call 101. I just... Did you phone 999 no. for that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone took my bin. Have you seen those... Um... Emergency calls, though, where the transcripts I, come through. I love those calls where people have phoned 999 and said, like, you love them. I'm I lost. I hate or, them. Yeah, but they, they're funny, aren't they? My pizza's turned up half yeah. an hour late and stuff. I think the, most of these people Horrific. are just, like, drugged out, out their eyeballs. I hope they, they are, because you can't surely behave like that if you're a normal person. Ugh. Anyway, we digress, as happens quite often. But Thomas was naturally concerned, um, but like we said, he was quite calm. Kids wandering off happens a lot, and like you said, Mark, he's probably made this call a number of times. 
He said as well that he would usually find the kids playing inside rails of clothing. That was kind of the usual where they'd find the kids. I remember when I worked in H&M, there was a a mum who was saying the kids got missing. And I actually had gone, while they were looking in the shop, I'd gone and looked outside. And this kid had gone outside and he just got himself a bit like turned around because he didn't know how to get back into the shop. It obviously looks a bit different from outside. Um, How stupid is this kid? He was small. And he didn't know where he was and his mum wasn't with him. Don't be horrible. <laughs> Luckily, he wasn't. He was just crying and he hadn't gone far and there wasn't like a main road outside, but it was still quite chilly. It does show, doesn't it? Just a moment of not concentrating mm-hmm. um, or, yeah, just kind of losing attention of that child. Two seconds and they've gone. Yeah, because kids are fast as well. Yeah. Ridiculous. So the phone call continued. Thomas saying, the little girl's mother says the last time she saw her, she was standing with two schoolgirls that the mother estimates to be approximately 13 years old, but we haven't seen the schoolgirls either. The call handler asks him, were these girls talking to her? And he replied with, she was playing with them, the lady says. The call handler said, right. And at this point in the call, there is silence for about 15 seconds whilst Kate McCafferty, the call handler, typed up her notes. She later explained that the mention of the two teenagers sparked an immediate change in the police response. It was at that point that Kate decided the call was a grade one response, highest priority for the police. So like you said, she's the 101 call handler. She then makes that judgment call as to whether to pass it on. And she has at this point just gone high priority. And I suppose what we've got here is an echo of the James Bolger case probably you know 20 years before this exactly where a little toddler is Mm -hmm. led away by two preteens in a shopping center yeah yeah and that's it it was the memory of this case that caused kate to really worry it was exactly that this case was about to become a huge emergency response that cctv image of the james being led away to his death by thompson and venables was at the back of her mind and i think Anybody who knows anything about that case, like we've talked about before, and once you've seen that CCTV, you'd never forget it. And terrifyingly, it wouldn't be long before a similar image was discovered of Alex being led by Jackie and Amy, one of them holding her hand. PC Mick Miller, one of several officers who had been dispatched to Premark in response to the 101 call, had made his way to the shop's CCTV room to find the video footage of the missing girl. He focused his search on the exit of the shop to see whether she'd actually left the store or not. And within 15 minutes, he discovered that at 16.29, Alex had been led out of the shop. The police were now sure that they were no longer dealing with a missing child. They had a child abduction on their hands. So child abduction itself isn't particularly rare, but child abduction by a stranger is roughly 50 cases out of the 600 or so child abductions a year in the UK. This is from research done by Parents and Abducted Children Together, or PACT, which looked at police reports. Um, That's only 50 out of nearly 600 cases were abduction by a stranger. And then the vast majority of these 50 stranger abductions per year are stopped within minutes. So someone notices this going on and grabs the child or raises an alarm and then the person drops the kid and runs off i still because that's over over the course of a year yeah because i still think that's really concerning because that's one child a week being Mm -hmm. abducted by a stranger even if they are then subsequently found really quickly and i'm guessing you might come on to it but the other 550 over the year is probably breakdown of relationship 
where yeah. a mom or a dad is taking their own child, or That's it. someone's or, taking what they perceive to be their own child, or grandparents or family friends. Yeah. It can be anybody, but as long as it's not a stranger, um, it's not something that I did research in for this case. To be honest, um, I was kind of looking to see about stranger abductions and then also children abducting children. Children abducting children is so rare that there are no actual statistics on it, which was That's rubbish for me thing. for my research. But yeah, how amazing that we, that doesn't happen that often. Viewing the footage in the store, PC McMiller's mind also jumped back 23 years to the case of James Bolger. He said, I'm 44 years old. I'm old enough to remember the Jamie Bolger case. So Miller radioed in with what the teenage girls had been wearing and the fact that one of them was holding hands with the missing girl. And the CCTV image was sent on. This image has not been released to the public for privacy reasons, but descriptions of it explain that it showed two older girls leading a toddler and one of them was holding her hand. PC McMiller also said, I remember making the radio transmission and there was a split second of silence when everyone digested what had just been said. Everyone's worst fears had been realised. The actual image obviously is not particularly unusual and it does go a long way to explaining why no one really thought to stop the girls. It's just two older girls and a younger girl and they weren't dragging her or anything. Um, It did turn out that a few people had asked the girls whether there was an issue. Mostly people had stopped to ask this because the teens were white and Alex was black. But the girls were just able to shrug it off and say they were looking after her and there were no further issues and I don't think you'd want to press it because... Actually, why can two older black uh, white girls be with a younger yeah, black I mean, that, child? Well, you know, so. that she could have been their sister. Yeah, exactly. So I think perhaps it might raise a little bit of suspicion, but they don't want to. Yeah, go I can understand it, it though. Yeah, I think. So the image sent a shockwave through the police control room, and immediately Inspector Steve Byrne knew that he had to deploy every available police resource. He said that the thoughts that rushed through his head had told him that there was no way that the girls were innocent. There had been plenty of opportunity for them to alert a staff member or any member of the public, really, if they were concerned for this child's welfare. A quote from him is, They had left the store, they'd been in close proximity to the mother, and for me, that's certainly something much more sinister. So it was now more than 45 minutes since the sisters had taken Alex out of the store. The police did have a witness sighting of the three from a member of the public that they had been spotted further along the road... So Inspector Steve Byrne decided to flood the town centre with officers. The aim of this was to contain Alex and her abductors within an area so that they could be found. And Emma luckily had taken a photo of Alex on the bus earlier that day, so the police had a definitive description of the outfit the child was wearing. And although she was absolutely distraught, Emma was apparently a brilliant witness, able to describe the girls really well and exactly what they were wearing. And I remember thinking this is quite a key thing. Like nowadays, people are always taking photos of their kids and you do get that straight away, what they were wearing specifically. Whereas back in the day, you'd have to try and remember what you dressed them in that day. You might remember and then they forget that they spilled their breakfast on themselves and changed T-shirts or... And also when the police inevitably ask for a recent photo of... The mm-hmm. missing child, so they've got description. Historically, mum would have probably had to go home, yeah, get a like a photo out of an album mm-hmm. or a frame. Whereas now, you can just literally go like, "Here's my phone." Yeah, this was two hours ago or something. Yeah. So I think that's really key for this case. I mean, it's amazing that she had the opportunity to do that and yeah. get that image out there. 
Officers swooped in on the area, questioning practically every member of the public they could find and searching other shops that were close by as well. But Inspector Byrne was really worried about one key area of vulnerability in the police seal, the Haymarket metro station. This is just a couple of minutes walk from Premark and if they had used this, the teenagers may well have travelled far beyond the city centre. Emma was increasingly distressed by her daughter's disappearance. One witness later described seeing her banging her head against a wall. And she later said, As a parent, you just feel that the police are not doing enough. You just feel like you want to get out there and look for her yourself. Inspector Byrne was also worried about the length of time that had passed. He felt they were playing catch-up and they were getting too close to losing the golden hour. This is a so-called time in any major criminal investigation that is a critical window in which to secure evidence, to secure the crime scenes, to locate witnesses, to find missing people and to track down suspects while they're still relatively close by. As time goes on, it gets harder and harder to do these things and this is even more key during an abduction. Inspector Byrne said, First and foremost in the golden hour, it's the recovery of the child the preservation of life. That's what it's all about. And secondly, it's about bringing offenders to justice. PC Marie Chapman had made her way to the Newcastle City Council's CCTV centre along with two other officers. They would use all of the video footage that was available to them and they wanted to find out where the teenagers had been going with the child. They had a massive wall of screens on which hundreds of cameras from around the city and the metro line could play And then they would try and piece together feeds from different cameras to try and create a timeline. More than an hour after Alex had been taken out of the shop, the police finally had their break and could see the route that the teenagers had taken with the toddler. But frustratingly for Inspector Byrne, they had used the metro. So the footage showed the three of them walking along through the town, where, like we said before, some passers-by had tried to check on the little girl. But they were told not to worry when they asked if she was okay. And the teens were quite good at putting the members of the public at ease, which I think they would be anyway, especially if the child's not distressed in any yeah, way. Yeah, and if she doesn't look physically harmed, mm-hmm. she's not bleeding, limping. Um, you know, for all we know, at that point, she looked quite happy. And they might have been saying to her, you know, we're looking after you. We're taking you to your mom now. Yeah. Who knows? You know, she wasn't distressed. Mm-hmm. Because that also reminds me with James Bolger. I know that mm. when he was abducted by those two boys and they were, I think they walked him along quite a main road towards the rail track where they eventually murdered him. And as they walked him along this busy road, I think they encountered about, subsequently it was said to be about 20 witnesses, um, people who did nothing. And, and that was but different. He wasn't happy. Was no, he, he was, yeah, he was distressed. Mm-hmm. And those witnesses kind of saw this, thought this isn't quite right. I should say something, but they never actually said or did anything. And had they actually intervened at that point, there's a, obviously a really good chance that James would still be alive today. But yeah. that was the key difference. I think he was limping. He was, you know, very distressed. He'd already been, you know, injured by these mm-hmm. two boys. Whereas this girl, Alex, as we're calling her, you know, would have been absolutely fine at this point. So I don't necessarily think any of those people that they encountered did anything wrong in in taking no action. I really don't think they did. No, I completely agree with you. And there were obviously the people in the James Bolger case. There was that woman who who was going to take James Bolger away from the boys. And then 
I can't remember properly, but I thought maybe she was late for work or there was some reason that she trusted them and said, okay, no, you carry on, you take him to the nearest police station or wherever it was she expected they were going to go to. And I think that's what they said. Mm -hmm. When they were sort of stopped maybe by one or two others. And so she could have, if she'd have been able to herself in that moment, and I think that's one of the things people were so guilty afterwards that what if they had just made a different but we're all human aren't Mm -hmm. we and we make a split second decision and we kind of use our own past experiences to assess the risk and you're making that decision and that's all you can do and nobody expected that those boys were going to do what they did and that's why however many years later nearly you know getting on for three decades later we are still talking about it and not just us it's mentioned in you know normal life all the time yeah because we are still shocked yeah no one expected that to happen so the group went into haymarket station at 4 35 at times the girls were seen dragging alex along and at one point one of the sisters even picked alex up and carried her down the escalator the group then waited on the platform before boarding a train the footage was also able to paint a picture of the two teenagers from 20 past eight that morning The girls were first caught on CCTV boarding a metro train at 8.22, heading for the city centre. They had spent almost all day at Primark, popping in and out at different times to go to shops such as Boots and McDonald's. And in Boots, they stole dummies, so this showed that they had clearly planned to steal a child. So they're obviously, like, bunking off school for the whole day. Yeah, Yeah, they've gone in in their school uniform, but they're not at school. Detective Sergeant Stu Liddell said that although their tactics were naive, this was chilling to watch. He said it was a very juvenile plan in that they didn't have a focus on CCTV and how could we get caught here. But I have no doubt that their purpose from getting on the train to travelling into the city centre was to take a child. When Inspector Byrne realised that the girls were, in a cold and calculating manner, putting as much distance between them and Alex's mother, he said he felt alarm bells go off. In his words, it was extremely worrying. I was standing in the office with the other two sergeants. Looking at their faces, you could see the horror. As soon as I heard that the child was being carried in a direction away from the store, away from her mother, Bolger is what sprung to mind. For a uniformed inspector or for another officer on duty at that time, I think most of us felt that way. It's an incident you just don't think you'll ever encounter and you hope you won't ever. But there we were, faced with just that. Witnesses on board had seen the teenagers giving the little girl sweets and Coca-Cola on the metro and telling her, don't worry, we'll get you to your mummy. So they hadn't been that worried or felt that they needed to intervene. And the girls were just putting more and more space between them and the mounting search. And chillingly, the police realised later that just 12 minutes after the first 101 call, the teens were already disembarking the metro at South Gosford Station, more than two miles away. They were now in an area which has very little CCTV. They walked via side streets to a shopping centre next to Gosforth Central Park and at this point it was five o'clock, just five minutes after police received the initial alert. Alex must have felt rather safe with the teens because witnesses described the girls swinging her between them in a playful way and asking her if she wanted to go to the park to play. Whilst the police were rushing around in town centre, The teenagers took Alex into Sainsbury's where they stole a bottle and some milk to keep her happy and then they went into Gosforth Central Park and had some fun playing on the swings. So here is where the police got a very lucky break in the case. 
PC Dodds worked a few miles north of the city centre, so wasn't involved in the kidnap case, but he was aware of what had been happening across the city. He began his shift that evening at his desk with his paperwork, and at about half five he received a missing persons report about two sisters who hadn't shown up to school that day. They had left home as normal, but not made it to school as planned, and sat with his report in hand with his radio buzzing with chatter about the kidnapping, PC Dodds put two and two together. In his own words, he said, As soon as I heard the description of the two girls who were with the younger, approximately 13 years old, wearing school uniforms, straight away I thought, hang on, this sounds like my two girls. It was just too much of a coincidence to hear about those two young schoolgirls. Not to sound too cliched about it, but I just had this sixth sense that it's got to be them. He rang the control room and relayed his suspicions and officers were dispatched to the girls' home to find out more about them. Finally, police had a new line of inquiry and potential names of their suspects. But it had been 78 minutes since Alex was abducted and the police knew that they needed to keep working fast. So the sister's mum confirmed that they had left the house for school that morning as normal, but she hadn't seen them since. She also confirmed that they matched the descriptions of the girls that had been involved in the pre-mark kidnapping. Can you imagine being that mum as well and having to go, yeah, that does sound like my daughter's. Yeah, that's my daughter's, yeah. (laughs) The police had no record of the sisters being in trouble with the law in the past, so there was very little to go on about their backgrounds, but there were a few notes by social workers relating to truancy. And it was one such note that helped to crack this case wide open. The note mentioned that the sisters would hang out at one specific park north of the city centre and the police decided to act on the hunch and send officers over to Gosforth Central Park. The eagle-eyed or bat-eared of you will remember this place name and the police were actually right, this is exactly where the girls had gone. Police community support officer Sean Cohen was making a routine visit to a local resident when he heard a call on his radio about the possible location of the teenagers. It was just around the corner from him, so he chose to divert and investigate, and he arrived in the park at about 5.50pm. Miraculously, he arrived and set eyes on the girls, and they were actually planning to leave the park at this point. Imagine if he'd just been one street further away when he set off, or if he'd decided to leave it to someone else. I think there's quite a few elements in this Mm -hmm. case where they were quite lucky to, you know, trap those two girls down and Alex relatively quickly, because... You know, had none of these kind of um, chain of events happened and the girls had just kind of not been caught, what would they have done with Alex? Yeah, exactly. Describing how he found them, PCSO Cohen said, I was thinking straight away if I had a young child with me, I'd probably be in the play park with the swings and the slides and such like, but they weren't there. And past the play park and through the trees, I could then see the two girls and the missing child walking across a green area. He radioed in to say that he could see the girls and that he was about 100 metres away from them. They saw him do that on his radio and he was worried that they were going to bolt, but in fact they just froze. He ran towards them shouting, stop, stop where you are. As he got closer he was thinking frantically in his head what he should do. Should he grab the girls? Should he get hold of Alex? It was just him on his own and there were three of them... Luckily, the girls were just stood there and they began to try and explain the situation away, saying the little girl had followed them from the city centre on the metro and they were going to try and return her to her parents. When PCSO Cohen asked them if they knew who the girl was, they said they didn't know her or her parents and then they couldn't really answer him when he said, how are you going to return her to her parents? 
if you don't know her parents? Quite a fair question. Yeah. And they obviously, this kind of shows their naivety and their how childish they actually were because they didn't have an answer for it. It's like you say, some elements of this abduction were planned and premeditated, but in terms of, uh, you know, how to get away with it wasn't really thought through. Yeah. Because had they just said to that officer, oh, thank God we've been looking for the police mm-hmm. or we, we would have been looking for the nearest police station to hand her in, they might have got away with it. Yeah. They still wouldn't. Or but... even, like, grab the girl and chuck her towards the police officer. He's going to grab the little girl. Yeah, you leg can run. It. Yeah. So PCSA Cohen was able to hold the teenagers by their arms and wait for backup while Alex just stood calmly nearby. Mere seconds went by before the other officers arrived and then the girls were arrested there and then. Back in Primark, there was a loud cheer and an officer went through to tell Emma the good news. She said after the fact that it, she was quite surprised by the macho police having such a gleeful reaction. They had big grins and there was loads of whoops and cheers. And she also said it felt like it wasn't just her child that had gone missing. Alex had become our child and everyone was excited to get her home. Not only was Alex unharmed, but she was also blissfully unaware of everything going on, as a two and a half probably would be. And this is why Emma and Alex's names have been changed. Emma doesn't want her daughter to ever have to know about this time in her life and would prefer that it was forgotten and that she never thinks about it. That makes sense. I think so. If you can um, keep it from her, I think that is the best thing for her. Yeah. But although Alex was back, the horror of the day's events were not over for Emma. As her daughter was brought back in, she noticed that her appearance had been dramatically altered. Another key example of the sister's forethought and forward planning was that Alex's hair had been pulled from the braids that she'd begun the day with, and it was now in a bun. Emma said, It was then that it dawned on me how serious the whole thing was. Even until then, I was just attributing it to teenagers being naughty. But this shook me. It was a moment which had me re-evaluating the whole thing and thinking, what were they up to? Even when I try to do her hair very gently, it's a struggle. I don't think that she would have enjoyed it in any way. I was really, really worried at that stage. So I, I get it. So they've changed her appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I didn't realise, but yeah. Yeah. So they're looking for a girl. And With braided got, hair. Yeah, you've got this and description. And now she's in a bun, yeah. It's not a, it might be a really subtle thing, but actually when you're glancing through the crowds and you're trying to look for someone, you might not notice that person. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder if they'd done anything else as well, because I wonder if they'd like taken a jacket off or put a jacket on her and stuff. I don't really know any more about it than just her hair. But I also think that must have been very upsetting for the mum. Mm. And the police also knew that this was just not a joke. The sisters had planned it really carefully Although they were ultimately brought down by CCTV, did they realise that this would be tracking them and not care? Or did they, I think this is more likely, not understand just how much CCTV there is and how easy it is to track people in this yeah, day and age? Yeah, probably that. I think so. They had planned their abduction routine and regrouped when it didn't work before or planned it before and tried a, a dry run. They were able to trick the mother of the first child and they'd worked fast to get the child out of the city centre. So next steps were to look into why the girls had decided to kidnap this young child. Investigators spoke to the family and friends of the sisters, but no one was really able to give any helpful evidence. The police also looked at the phones and computers in the house, and this is where things get particularly shocking. There was a Samsung tablet that had been given to the 13-year-old as a Christmas present in 2015, so a few months before the abduction attempt. The internet search history revealed a lot about the mindsets of the sisters. 
Searches had been made for things like forced sex, slavery, girls collected, trained and tormented for auction, children being abducted and dragged into a van and raped, rape, people getting raped, young people getting raped, poor little thing getting kidnapped and raped. Jesus Christ, how old mm-hmm. were these girls? Like 13, 13 and 14? and 14. And they're looking up stuff like that. The sites they visited included those with graphic sexual content relating to rape and kidnap. It's just, Ugh. I mean, that is, you know, yeah, so not normal. There's so many problems mm-hmm. with those girls. It's so chilling, isn't it? That's just, I mean, it's just shocking for people that age to know that those things even exist, let alone actively look at it. You shouldn't even know that. And see it. Yeah. And once they've seen it, they can't then unsee that. No. So it's going to have an impact on them in later life or straight away. It wasn't just like one time that they searched this. This was multiple searches. Obviously, the police had to ensure that the searches hadn't been made by anyone else because there were four other people in the house that could have used the tablet. But when they focused on the exact times the pornographic sites were visited, it turned into something even more chilling. I didn't think it could be more chilling. So searches showed that the girls would be looking at a topic for schoolwork, switching to a site about something about rape and kidnap, and then immediately afterwards going back to their homework. That is disturbing. So it's not even like it was a a thing that they've gone, right, we're going to look at this now. It's just a um, almost part of their everyday yeah, routine yeah it feels so we do normal. our homework now we'll have a look at all this kind of weird stuff yeah like oh i'm in the middle of my school project and i've just remembered i need to check like what's on tv tonight so like it's so and you know they're a similar cold. age but you know how would how would they be in this together you know do you think one of them had this kind of perverse interest and coerced the other one or do you think they're both as fucked up as each other and both enjoyed looking at all that stuff. I, I just don't know. I don't know. And it's so difficult as well because there were two other children in the house as well who, from all accounts, and it's a bit of a weird way to put it, but were normal. Yeah. Weren't looking at all this stuff. So whilst there's some comments around the fact that they came from quite a chaotic household, I think that was the phrase that was used, that doesn't mean anything when you think there's other people in that household who are not doing this. Even seasoned detectives were extremely alarmed by this evidence. Um, Detective Chief Inspector Shelley Hudson, who prepared the case for prosecution, said to the BBC, it really is very unusual, very bizarre, but then to kidnap a child is bizarre. Whatever was going on was incredibly worrying. So one line of inquiry was a man who had been in contact with the 13-year-old via an internet chat room. It transpired that about two months before the abduction, the girl had spoken to her teacher about a man speaking to her in a sexual manner. The teacher had taken screenshots of the conversation and the tablet was confiscated along with her mobile phone. But frustratingly, um, the trail kind of ran cold. There was nothing to follow up on. And the girls got the tablet and their phone back with the app deleted and all of the chat records had been wiped. And I wonder if... You know, we talked about social services having kind of come into contact with that family where they kind of had files on the children, mm. these two sisters, and knew that they would true and somewhere where they would go. Yeah. But it might be that that was the only time social services came in contact with them as potential victims mm-hmm. of a predator trying to groom them. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, and that's a really good point. Because all of this is um, anonymous, it's very difficult to kind of track anything further. So that's a really good shout. It could be why they hadn't really ever had any issues in the past. 
So the girls refused to explain any of their online activities to the police, but they claimed to others that the man in the chat room was called Nazar and that he had put them up to the abduction. Their defence attempted to claim that this was the reason for the abduction, but the police were not convinced because there was no suggestion that the chats involved requests for abductions that hadn't been mentioned before and it wasn't in any of the screenshots. And also there was no CCTV evidence of anyone else being present during the kidnapping. The sisters refused to answer questions during police interviews and when they did give a statement it said that the little girl had followed them and that they intended to return her to her mother which was just clearly a lie. So it seemed like the girls only kind of had each other as friends, they spent a lot of their time together which is quite unusual especially being sisters of 13 and 14 they would have been in different school years and most children have at least different friends to their sisters, even if they do socialise with their sister as well. Particularly at that age, you know, yeah. early teens, when you're kind of really kind of um, finding out who you are, you would kind yeah. of break free, I think. I think so. But it still doesn't really mean anything. You can be really good friends and close with your sister and not go kidnap someone. So, and look up all that weird shit online. Yeah, so the police kind of were really finding all these dead ends, to be honest. Detective Chief Inspector Shelley Hudson has said that their main course of investigation was that they were actively going out to kidnap a child with the intention of sexually abusing that child. The findings were enough to charge the girls not only with kidnap, but also with intent to commit a serious sexual assault. But after review by the CPS, the evidence for the latter part of this charge was not considered strong enough to secure a conviction. And so the sexual offence part was withdrawn. I, do, I, I personally, in black and white, if you look at it, mm. there is not enough evidence to say that that was their intention. No, but should they not have at least have been able to show that to a jury and have that have decided? Have decide, maybe, yeah, yeah. I get that the CPS has to make those judgment calls and it wouldn't have been made lightly. I don't know, I just think those search histories are... Perhaps if it had been an adult, those would be less of, a, of an interest, but when it's these young minds i think that should have been looked at in a little bit more detail so the girls both pleaded guilty to kidnap and they also admitted shoplifting dummies baby milk and a bottle they were each sentenced to three and a half years detention in july 2016 the judge mr justice globe said he was convinced that they had intended to seriously harm the little girl saying It is not possible to state with any certainty who was going to cause the harm or exactly what that harm would have been, except to come to the conclusion that it would have mirrored some aspect of the physical or sexual violence and or exploitation that was found on the tablet. In my judgment, it was the true reason why she was taken. So the judge kind of is Mm. similar in what he's thinking to what I'm thinking. They did admit that they kidnapped her, so... I love how they also admitted to stealing a dummy and a bottle. It's like, God, that pales in insignificance compared to the kidnap charge. I suppose they were like, you're going to have to admit to that. They're like, fuck it, we'll just go down for everything in one go. The judge said that the differing accounts of the day produced more questions than answers and didn't actually help anyone understand what the truth was. He rejected the proposition that they had taken the child for no reason or with no specific intent. Whilst he did take into account that Alex had not come to any physical harm, the extensive psychological harm to her mother, Emma, was absolutely devastating. He added that it was clear some aspect of physical or sexual harm or exploitation would have been carried out if the toddler had not been rescued swiftly and that Emma's fears were well-founded. 
Mr Justice Globe said that the guidelines recommended a five-year sentence, but he had deducted a third of this because the girls had pleaded guilty. The initial sentences were three years and four months, but the judge later took a month off after hearing that the teenagers had been subject to a curfew since their guilty plea in June. He also refused to lift the anonymity order banning anyone from identifying them. Explaining this, he said, Anonymity is never an easy matter to resolve where there is an offence committed of public importance. Open justice is uppermost in my mind. But due to the girls' ages, he decided that the ban had to remain in place. So several months after the trial and conviction, Emma spoke to the BBC about the ordeal. She chose not to be named to protect her daughter right there and then, but also in the future as well. And reflecting on the day, she said, it all happened within the blink of an eye. We think we are careful, but honestly, we are never careful enough. All it takes is for a child to run off or run around a corner and you trying to keep up and everything changes. My little one was laughing and running up and down in the store and I could hear her voice, but then I couldn't. I knew something was wrong because she always likes me in her sight. And it is, it's so chilling. We've used that word a few times, chilling. And it is, it's a parent's worst nightmare. Emma said that whilst everyone wanted to know why the sisters had done this, it's probably that one answer that they would never give and it's never going to be understood fully. Emma did suffer psychologically with the events, having nightmares, not allowing Alex to go to nursery and never letting her daughter out of her sight again. And like, that's fine for now, but I wonder what she's going to be like when her daughter has to go to school Mm. or starts being a bit of a rebellious teenager and doesn't understand why her mum's being so strict. Yeah, and her mum isn't going to want to go there. No. And tell her the real reason. This has got repercussions. I mean, she's so lucky that her daughter wasn't actually hurt in any way, but this is just far-reaching, isn't it? Yeah. I was very, very frightened. It was completely numbing, the last thing you expect, she said. These are kids. What were they thinking? It was an evil act, but would I call them evil? No. And I wanted to end on a nice note because, you know, I like to. She said that she has now forgiven the sisters for what they did to her daughter and to her. Wow, that is Mm -hmm. admirable, yeah. Really admirable. So, as usual, let us know what you thought about the case. You can get in touch with us in all of the usual ways. Search for us on social media by finding us with Seeing Red, a UK true crime podcast. Or you could email us at info at seeingredpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye.